You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right, everybody. Well, we'll pray and uh, get into the Word tonight. I'm ready. Y'all ready? Yes, sir. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. We we are so grateful for your goodness, your faithfulness, your love, and your mercy that endures forever. Father, I thank you again for the privilege that we have to gather together. Although that we're in different physical locations, Father, I thank you that we're together in you, that in there is no distance or, or time in the realm of the Spirit. And, and Father, the anointing is there with them, just like it is here with me. And Father, we just purpose to receive from you tonight. I thank you, Lord, for the Word. I thank you that it is already anointed. And Father, I thank you for the help of the Holy Spirit tonight, that He is the teacher, that He will bring forth revelation and insight. I give you permission to speak through my mouth. Let my mind think your thoughts, Father. And Lord, I just praise you for what we're going to receive tonight. We thank you in advance. And Lord, I thank you that it's going to minister and change all of us. And we believe it and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you want to turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Now, let me tell you uh, how this is going to work tonight. Uh, I'm going to make some, uh, just a few review comments, but um, we're going to be very detailed in looking at Ephesians chapter 6. And of course, uh, Matt, you got your book handy? Um, this is the book, uh, Dress to Kill by Pastor Rick Renner. And uh, a lot of the detail that we're going to talk about tonight came out of that material. And uh, so I just encourage you, hang with it, stay with me, because we're going to talk a lot about uh, some Greek words and definitions and so forth. And um, here's, the, here's the reason that I want to do it this way, and that is this. It causes Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through uh, 18, to really come together for you in a very, very powerful way. And so... Uh, Let's look at that. So if you want to turn there, be turning there. Remember a couple things that I want to hit on before we uh, continue. And of course, we're talking about spiritual warfare. And uh, we must always remember that spiritual warfare, the spiritual battle with Satan was won by the Lord Jesus Christ at his death, burial, and resurrection at the cross and in his resurrection. Thank God he was raised from the dead. And in so doing, that is what secured uh, Satan's defeat and in turn, our victory. And so as we've been saying, we also have to approach spiritual warfare from a place of already having obtained victory. You know, you never, well, let me say it to you this way. One of the things that we all have to renew our minds in is the fact that we are already victorious. We're not going to get victorious. Did you know when you get to heaven, you're not going to have any more victory than you do right now. All of the victory has been bought and paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's been given to us. 
And so we approach spiritual warfare from a place of victory, having already obtained victory through Jesus, instead of trying to get the victory. You know, think about it this way. If you're going to wait to heaven to try and get salvation, it's going to be too late. And you're going to, you know, you have to receive what Jesus has already done. Salvation is already ours. And of course, that's the wonderful thing about the gospel is we just have to receive what Jesus did for us. And so every, it works exactly the same for everything that Jesus purchased for us, whether it be healing, uh, financial prosperity, Jesus bought and paid for that, uh, peace of mind, peace in our souls, uh, you know, eternal life, all of those things belong to us now. And so it's, it's very important that we approach this thing called spiritual warfare from a place of, I already have the victory. And I'm telling you, it makes a world of difference because you're going to look at, um, well, you'll see when we get into these things, talking about the armor of God and so forth and so on, you'll see that you're going to handle those things differently uh, with a with an already victorious mindset versus um, and forgive me for saying it this way, but a loser's mindset or that you're all, you're trying to obtain the victory is what I'm saying. Now we have said that there are three different aspects to spiritual warfare, and and uh, it's the first one is dealing with your mind, taking control of your mind, renewing your mind to the Word of God. Number two is dealing with your flesh, the desires of the flesh, gaining control over your flesh, not letting your flesh dictate to you uh, what you do and how you feel, what you think about and all those things. And then lastly, after you've dealt with your mind and you've dealt with your flesh, then you might have to deal with the devil, okay? Now, if you can defeat him in your mind and in your flesh, that's a large portion of the battle right there. And you'll see as we get into these things. And so let's go over to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Paul said this, he said, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, as we were winding it down last week, we started with that first word in that verse, finally. And what Paul is actually saying, and, and if you've read through the book of Ephesians, you know he covers a tremendous amount of truths in there. A lot of them foundational, a lot of them a little more deep, uh, but he covers a lot of doctrinal foundational things that we need to know. But then as he begins to, to wrap up his letter to the church at Ephesus, he says this, this phrase, finally, my brethren. And so what he's saying is, if you, if you haven't gotten anything out of what I've written to you before, then get what I'm getting ready to give to you now. Okay, so what he's saying and what he's getting ready to say is extremely important. Now, as we started to say last week and we got into it a little bit, why would he have said this? Well, the Ephesian church, the church at Ephesus, was a very successful church. It was a, a church made up of largely a Gentile congregation. And so Paul and other ministers had gone in there, taught a lot of doctrine, taught a lot of information uh, to this particular church to help get them rooted and grounded. And so what Paul was finding out is, is that even though they had a lot of knowledge of these truths and of these revelations and things that had been imparted to them, they weren't acting on them as they should, 
And so they weren't experiencing victory in a lot of areas that that they should have been experiencing victory. And you know, the same thing is true for the church today. There's a lot of believers that know a lot about the Bible. They know a lot of foundational doctrinal truths, yeah, you know, can quote scriptures as well as anybody. But how many of you know the proof of the pudding is in the eating? In other words, is the knowledge that they have helping to uh, get them to a place where they're living in and walking in victory? And that's the question for all of us. And so what Paul had to do is he had to bring them to a place where they started uh, moving from intellectual understanding of the Word of God to where the Word of God becomes the sword of the Spirit. Going from a place where, uh, you know, that they were trying to grab hold of the basics of faith to where uh, they moved to a place where they were living in and walking with the shield of faith on. And going from a place of uh, just a knowledge of salvation to where they were wearing it like a helmet of salvation. And then to, you know, put on the righteousness of God, the grace of God and wearing it like a breastplate. So he needed to move them to this point. And so that's why he wrapped up his letter to the church and, and began to talk about these things called the armor of God. Now he, he says this, finally, my brethren. Now that phrase, my brethren, and what I encourage you to do is, is you know, if you're making notes of these things, great. Also, all of my notes are online, you can get them. But uh, I, I just encourage you, underline some of these things in, in your Bible so that they'll jump out to you every time you read it. But when he, uh, when he says, finally, my brethren. Now, what's so powerful about that word brethren? Let me ask you a question. Every, anybody been to Philadelphia before? Okay, mm -hmm. I've been to Philadelphia. Most of us, a lot of us have. Okay. Um, now, if you know anything about Philadelphia, what is Philadelphia known as? The city, city of brotherly love. That's right. Well, the reason that it's called that is that the word Adelphos is in that word, and that's a Greek word that means brotherly relationship or brotherly love. And when Paul says, finally, my brethren, he uses this word Adelphos, as is in used in Philadelphia, to indicate to them that he is their brother. He is their brother in arms. And you know, I, um, I do a lot of study of history and I, I just love history. I also uh, am very, very um, ad, in admiration and respect of mili the military. And uh, I listen to some podcasts by former Navy SEALs and special operators in our military. I'm just intrigued by that because I'm fascinated with their mindset. I'm fascinated with the training that they go through and all of that. And one of the things that you'll hear when you listen to these guys talk is they behave with each other different than they behave with regular people or people outside of their team. And the reason being, and what I mean by that is, they are so knit together in their relationship with each other in the sense of what they do that uh, they refer to it as the brotherhood. 
And you'll hear them say that when they have gotten into a battle or there have been, uh, you know, skirmishes that have taken place, you know, in our recent history in, in Iraq and Afghanistan and those areas, and one of their teammates has gotten wounded or even killed, they will tell you, we do not leave a brother behind. Mm -hmm. And so they will do everything, including risking their own life and limb to make sure that that brother that's part of their team, uh, they do not leave him behind. They take him off the battlefield. If he's wounded, then they'll make sure that he gets care and so forth and so on. And it's the same mindset that Paul is referring to when he says, finally, my brethren. He's not just saying a, a casual term, you know, brothers and sisters in the Lord. No, he's referring to somebody that's in the trenches with him, that is involved in this warfare, this battle with him. And uh, he's acknowledging to them that we deal with the same problems. We have the same pressures. We deal with the same temptations. And uh, in the Greek culture, to call someone a brother was an extremely high honor. It was not a term that was usually or loosely used in that day like it is today. You know, I meet somebody at, at uh, Walmart and, you know, if we're just saying, hey, how you doing? And, you know, they say, hey, how you doing? I'm good, brother. How are you? You know, that type of thing. That, and they didn't use it that way. No, it meant a whole lot more to that culture than it does to our culture today. And so what they're, what Paul was saying is, as I am personally affiliated with you, I am connected with you and I'm in this. Okay. And so that he was really telling them that we're in this fight together and we're not going to give up in the fight. Okay. So he goes on to say in Ephesians 6, 10, he says, finally, my brethren, be strong be strong. That word strong is a compound word in the Greek. It is in, E-N, dunamis, D-U-N-A-M-I-S, dunamis. Now, dunamis is a Greek word that is used to talk about power. It is uh, a Greek word that we get our English word dynamite from, or uh, if you're familiar with electric motors, a dynamo or a generator that generates power, has a dynamo in it. Well, all of those come from that same Greek word. And so this word, when you put E-N in front of it, it means this, to be infused and, and with an excessive dose of dynamic inner strength and ability. I'm going to say that again. To be infused to put down on the inside of you an, an excessive dose of dynamic inner strength and ability. Now you need to make note of this, okay? We are specifically designed by God to be receptacles of His divine power, okay? We are designed by God to be receptacles of his divine power. Uh, one of the things, one of the reasons that in his wisdom, he caused us to be born again, to be recreated spiritually, is so that our being could contain his power. His power could not come and live on the inside of us. He could not infuse us with his power until we were born again. Here's why. 
Because if you weren't born again and you came in contact with the power of God, you would die. It, it would just uh, obliterate you, so to speak. So we are specifically designed by God to be receptacles of his divine power. Now, in, in using those two words, be strong, Paul is commanding them to receive this power. He's telling them it is imperative that you open your heart and receive a brand new touch of God's power. Now, let me to say this to you. These people had already received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They had already been born again. Now, here's something you need to understand. Even though there is a one experience of having received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there are many infillings or refillings, we might cause it, or, or say it, rather. And so what, what, uh, what Paul is telling them is, you need to make sure that you keep your heart, your spirit full of the power of God in your life. Now, here's why he said this. You leak. I leak. Okay? L-E-A-K. You leak. All right, and as we navigate through this world and as we live our lives as believers, um, that power can be diminished just because of the environment that we live in and so forth. So it's, it's very, very important that we have this ability, this supernatural power on the inside of us, and we stay full of it. Matter of fact, he wrote the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 5, and he said this, don't be drunk with, in verse 18, do not be drunk with wine uh, in which is excess, but be filled or be being filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he was telling them, you need to stay full of this infusion of God's power. You know, I remember when uh, a while back I uh, had allowed myself to become anemic. And uh, so when I got to the hospital and they discovered that, well, guess what? The first thing that they want to do is they want to give you an infusion, a blood infusion, uh, because they needed to get blood in me to get my red blood count up. And so think of it, the power of God that way is, uh, you know, by doing these things that Paul tells us, it's like you're getting a, a, an infusion of the power of God flowing in you spiritually, okay? And so without this supernatural power of the Holy Spirit operating in us, not one of us can ever be a match against Satan's schemes and devices. Now, I know we, we know that he is defeated. We know we have the name of Jesus. We know that we have the victory, but do not underestimate your adversary, okay? You know, listen, he is intelligent. He's keen. He's, he's canny, cunning, quick, brainy. He's shrewd, all right? He is strong, capable, he is influencing, and here's the biggest one, he is determined, all right? He is uh, consistent, and he perseveres, all right? So what does that mean for us? Well, 
you need to understand those things going into the battle. You know, and I'll say this to you, just a little side note. One of your biggest keys to enforcing victory on the devil is outlasting him, being more uh, consistent and, and persevering more than he does. Okay. So when, uh, when the Holy Spirit's supernatural strength is released within us, it gives us the supernatural power to deal victoriously with our enemy. Okay. Now write this down, please. This is superhuman power for a superhuman task. I'm going to say that again. This is superhuman power for a superhuman task. Now, what is interesting in, in using this Greek word in dunamao or in dunamis, as we said, um, anybody ever heard of a Greek character named Hercules? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And I'm not talking about Eddie Murphy, Hercules, Hercules. No, I'm talking about the mythical character Hercules. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I got silly there for a minute. All right. What do you know about Hercules, the character Hercules? He has superhuman strength. Okay. All right. When they would refer to Hercules, they would use this same word in, in dunamao. Okay. In other words, that he was infused with supernatural strength. Now he got his strength from Zeus, according to mythology, but, but it's interesting. And I love the fact that Paul used this same word to refer to us. And you need to start seeing yourself as a Hercules spiritually. Okay. And, and see yourself that way. Now, your only hope of defeating the enemy and enforcing Jesus victory is by receiving and walking in this supernatural power. Okay. Now let's go back to Ephesians 6:10. So he says, finally, my brethren be strong. And then the three words in the Lord, in the Lord. Now in using this phrase, Paul was giving us a location. He was giving us an address like a GPS address. Now, what, why would he do that? Well, he wanted the believers in Ephesus and he wanted us to know where we are located. We are located in Christ. We are in him. Okay. And you need to see yourself as in Christ. Now that's why if you, and again, if you've read the book of Ephesians, Many, many times throughout this book, not only the book of Ephesians, but Paul's other letters, he makes references to being in Christ. You'll read scriptures where it says we are in him or in whom, or, you know, as in this particular verse, it says in the Lord. And what this is saying to us is that we are perpetually, endlessly, and infinitely locked up in Christ Jesus. Okay. So you are in Christ and he is in you. Okay. So this is why, again, we see this phrase used throughout Paul's epistles because he's really trying to drive home to these believers. You're not on your own. You are in Christ. 
you are in him and it's in him uh, as as it says in the book of acts it is we, in him we live and move and have our being mm -hmm. and so when paul says be strong in the lord he is telling us that is where your strength is located it is going to be found in the lord all right now he goes on to say finally my brethren be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, this is a little different than the phrase uh, that we read earlier, be strong in the Lord, when he used in dunamau, okay, in dunamis. This word, power, is the Greek word kratos, K-R-A-T-O-S, kratos. Now, this is different in the sense of it, the way to define this word is it is demonstrated power. Okay, yeah, let me let me explain it to you this way. If you saw Hercules and you were told that he has great supernatural strength, but you saw him use that super, super supernatural strength, that's Kratos. In other words, he has demonstrated that power. That power has been released, and you have been able to see firsthand what that power will do. Okay? Now, this Greek word is the same word that's used when Paul refers to uh, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, I think sometimes... Um, we kind of gloss over that. And what I mean by that is we quickly, because we, we know the Easter story and we know what happened and, and how the stone was rolled back and all that and so forth. But I think we undervalue the power of God that was released to raise Jesus from the dead. Now, I want to say this to you. He was not the first man physically to be raised from the dead in the Bible. We have people in the Old Testament that were raised from the dead. We have people in Jesus' ministry that were raised from the dead. So what was different about Jesus' resurrection? Well, the fact is that you have a man who, because of our sin, died, separated from God, went to hell, was tormented by the powers of darkness, and the power of God not only brought him back to life physically, but it, it recreated him spiritually. Jesus was the first man to be born again. He was the first man to be spiritually recreated at the same time that he was raised from the dead. And so this word kratos is, is a greater uh, thing than we can possibly wrap our brains around. Let me show you something. You're there uh, in your Bibles. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, please. Hebrews chapter 1. And I want to show you something. Look at uh, verse 1. Oh, I tell you what, let's, well, no, let's just start there. God, Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in, hath, has in these last days spoken to us by his son 
whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, notice this, and again, and again. Now he just got through telling us about what Jesus was like in his, his eternal divine state before he took upon himself flesh when he said that he was the express image of God's glory, that uh, he, he, all things were made by him and through him and so forth. But notice what, ha what happened. It says, and again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. What it, what, why, did, why did the Holy Spirit inspire Paul, who wrote Hebrews, to say, and again? Because there was a tiny window of time that Jesus lost that status. Why? Because of our sin. He took upon himself that sin and then had to experience separation from God for the first time in his eternal existence. So again, in verse 5, he says, and again... I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now, here's what I want to get to, verse 6. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world. Now, let me ask you a question. Use your head for just a second. When was the first time he brought him into the world? Adam. No. You're talking about Jesus. How about when, when he was born of Mary? Yes, ma'am. That's it. When he was born of Mary was the first time he came into the world. But notice what the scripture says. It says, and when he again brings the firstborn. Somebody tell me what John 3, 16 says. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only. Wait, wait, wait. Stop, 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 stop. That he gave who? His only begotten. Uh, uh, back up. His what? His only, his only begotten son. Okay. Now notice what this verse says. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world. The old King James says first begotten into the world. So let, let me explain it to you this way. Before Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he was the only begotten son of God. After his resurrection, he was the first begotten son of God or firstborn son of God. Well, here's why his, his status changed. He's no longer an only son. He's the first son. And if there's a first son, there's a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, whatever number you and I are. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it says, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he said, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the son, he says, 
your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Now, what the scripture is telling us, this is what God said when he brought Jesus back into the world in his resurrection. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Now, let me tell you something. When God calls you God, <laughs> that's big. All right. So he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And uh, so anyway, what I'm wanting you to see is, is that is when the power of God, the kratos of God, was released and it went to the, the deepest, darkest regions of hell where Jesus was being tormented by the powers of darkness and caused Jesus to be born again and then caused his spirit and his body to be reunited and he was physically raised from the dead at that moment. That was absolutely huge. Now, he was the first one that had ever experienced that. As I said to you, there were other people that were raised from the dead. Jesus was the first one that experienced the power of God to that degree. Okay? So, the Kratos power of God is what raised Jesus from the dead. The only being in the universe that possesses this kind of power is God. Man does not possess this, this power unless it's been given to him by God. This power is so mighty and overwhelming, the mighty Roman soldiers assigned to guard Jesus' tomb were not flat on their backs by the power of God when he was raised up. Look over with me at, at Matthew chapter 28. Put your little ribbon thing there in, in Ephesians 6. We're coming back. Matthew chapter 28. And let's look at what happened. Matthew chapter 28. In verse 2. Now it says, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance, the angel's countenance, was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Now, if you've kind of been around Pentecostal circles very much, you know, you've probably been in services where people had uh, hands laid on them and the power of God came on them and they fell out under the power of God. Well, that's not a new thing. It happened here. It also happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you'll recall, when Jesus and his disciples were in the garden and they came to arrest Jesus, Jesus asked them the question, uh, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus just simply replied with three words, I am he. Okay. Now, if you look at the King James Bible, the word he is italicized, meaning it was added by the translators. So here's what Jesus literally said. Who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, 
I am. Now, when was the last time somebody spoke and said, I am? God did at the burning bush with Moses. Moses said, who should I tell them sent me? God replied to him out of the fire and said, you tell them, I am that I am sent you. And see, you need to understand this. <laughs> to us, our, our uh, Gentile Western mindset doesn't get that. To a Jew who was standing there, heard Jesus say that, they knew exactly what he was referring to. And that's why it made them so mad. But here's the thing I want you to see. If you'll read the scripture, don't gloss over it. Read it in detail. It says that when he said, I am, that it knocked them all over on their backs. The power of God was so strong and released when Jesus said those two words that it knocked them all on their backs. And guess what? They got up, he asked the same question, and it happened again. All right? Now, you know, I may not be the sharpest tool in the shed, but if I'd have been trying to arrest Jesus and that happened to me twice, I think I'd just go back to the house. I, I think I would just give up trying to arrest Jesus because there's something about this guy. He's unarrestable unless he wants to be arrested. All right? So... I just wanted to bring that out to you. All right. Now, go back up one, one few verses there in Matthew 27 and look at verses 52 and 53. Now, we touched on this Sunday, and it says in verse 52, And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now, here's, here's what I want you to see is that when Jesus was raised from the dead by this Kratos power of God, there was so much power released that other people in graves around Jesus' tomb were also raised up. And so much so that they went wandering back into town. All right. So my point is this. When we talk about the power of God raising Jesus from the dead, we're talking about awesome power that is only attainable or is only relative to God himself. All right? Now, yes. I love this. Okay? So flip back over to Ephesians chapter 6 again. Now, we, you know, we're just still in verse 10. And it says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That word might there is a very interesting Greek word. And the, 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 the fact that Paul used it with the phrase of kratos ishas, and it's I-S-C-H-O-U-S. So when Paul was writing this, he said, it, making reference to the power of God, he said it, it's the kratos ishas, Okay. Now, what this word ishas and the way that, that and the reason Paul used this word is because, again, he's trying to build a picture in the hearts and minds of these believers. That word would be what you would use if you went to the gym and you saw somebody there that you it was obvious they had been working out day after day after day, week after week, year after year. 
and they would be called a bodybuilder. They were an extremely muscular person, okay, with extreme muscular abilities. So Paul is using that word kratos with this word right here to paint to us that there is no limit to this power. There is no way you can contain it. There's no way you can uh, try and box it in. It is absolutely impossible. All right. Now, when he's painting this picture of the power of God, it, it, he's actually raising some questions. Is there anyone more powerful than God? Well, of course, we know the answer to that is no, absolutely not. Is there anyone more able? Is there anyone that has greater ability than God does? And of course, the answer is no. Is there any force in the universe equal to the muscular ability of God, the strength of God? And the answer to that is no. Let me just tell you, in the Old Testament, when you see phrases and it makes a reference to the arm of the Lord, it's talking about God's strength and God's ability. You'll hear a couple of different phrases or see a couple of different phrases in the Old Testament. You'll see the hand of the Lord would be on somebody. That was where the anointing or the power of God would come on them. But when you saw the, the phrase, the arm of the Lord, you're talking about God's supernatural strength, his ability, and his power. And in references, it talks about the arm of the Lord doing some things like this. It says that he flung the universe into being. An entire period of civilization was wiped out by a flood because of the arm of the Lord. Sodom and Gomorrah were forever wiped off the face of the earth because of this power. Egypt's rebellion against God was crushed and the children of Israel were set free because of this power. The Red Sea was split in two while the children of Israel passed through and then crashed down on the Egyptians to wipe them out. That was this power. The wicked powers of the heavenlies were forcibly shoved aside, although, listen, it was physically and medically impossible. Jesus was conceived and miraculously born from a virgin's womb by this supernatural power. His power surged into the caverns of hell itself and ripped Jesus out of the pangs of death stripping principality and powers naked and making a public display of this embarrassing defeat. The power of God did this. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came rushing in and filled the disciples with awesome power, supernaturally empowering them to preach the word with signs and wonders following and confirming the word. And one day the arm of the Lord is going to cause the eastern sky to be split and Jesus to be able to return to the earth with the great armies of heaven to defeat the armies of the earth and to set up his kingdom on the earth, which will last forever. This is the same mighty arm of God that is at work in the earth today. Where is his powerful, able, mighty muscular ability working today 
in you and in me. Amen. Now think about that, y'all. Think about the fact that the, the, you know, we call him the almighty God. He is almighty. He is the creator of the universe. There is nobody that compares to him. But somehow in his wisdom, he saw value in investing and placing that power on the inside of us by and through the Holy Spirit. And instead of moving in the earth and doing what, I mean, think about this. You do understand with one wave of his power, he could, he could cause everybody to get born again. Jesus. He could cause everybody to be changed and everybody to be different. But he, in his wisdom, decided that, that he wanted to use you and me in order to win people to Christ, get, to lead them to make a decision to choose him. And he did it so that that power could be manifest in and through us. In other words, you know, I say it this way. We are God's plan A in the earth. He does not have a plan B. If the power of God is going to show up in the planet, it's going to show up through you and me. Think about that. I know that's a huge responsibility, but it's the truth nonetheless. Now, there will come a day later on in another dispensation that God's going to reveal his power to humanity. But right now, in this church age, God has chosen to use little old me and you to be carriers of that power and to display that power in the earth. Okay? Now, one, one person translates uh, Ephesians 6.10 this way. Be strong in the Lord in, and in the powerful, outwardly demonstrated ability that works in you as a result of God's great muscular ability. All right? So, you know, and, and that's why I want to take the time to really dissect these things. And I know it's, you know, sometimes getting into the nitty gritty of these things uh, is not all that exciting, but the revelation comes at the end when you're able to connect the dots and begin to realize. So when you see what Paul wrote in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 words in our English language, what he was trying to get these Ephesian Christians to see is the same thing that the Holy Ghost is wanting us to see now. All right? That you are a container of that power. Now, look at verse 11. So he says, first in, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Verse 11, first two words, put on the whole armor of God. When, when Paul said this, he is, uh, the, the tense, T-E-N-S-E, that he used in the language to say put on, he was basically saying this way. He was not making a suggestion. He, he was not saying, well, you know, if you feel like it or, uh, you know, you kind of need to do this. No, he was saying it, it's imperative that you do this. And he's issuing the strongest level of command that he possibly could. Now, we have a choice. 
We can reject Paul's command, of course, by the Holy Spirit. He said it, but uh, or we can accept it and do it. So when he said, put on the whole armor of God, it was not a suggestion. It is not something that you and I have an option to do. Now, you could choose not to. Don't misunderstand me. But if you're wanting to be victorious and walk in the victory that God wants us to live and walk in, then this is a requirement. For victory to happen in your life, this is not optional. All right? So I'm trying to place the same emphasis on it that Paul did. Okay, so when he said, put on the whole armor of God, what he was actually saying there is, put on the armor that comes from God. Okay, so this is supernatural armor. Now, he relates it to us in natural terms, but this is a very, very supernatural thing that Paul is telling us. And so, just like we get the power from God, this supernatural armor comes from God is as well. Now, somebody says, well, how do I get it? Well, guess what? Get born again. That's all you have to do. If you're born again, then the armor of God already belongs to you. It is yours through your relationship with God. And so what Paul is telling us is he's wanting us to know that this armor comes from God and is freely given upon those who continually draw their life and their existence from him. Okay, so this is a right and a privilege that we have as believers. So as long as our fellowship with the Lord is unbroken, the power source for our spiritual rep weaponry also remains intact. So you have this Pastor. source. Of, yes, ma'am. Pastor, like he's saying, here it is, suit up and wear it. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Here it is, suit here, up and I'm, wear it. I'm, God has said it before us. Put it on, okay? And so, all right. So he says, put on, we'll get this introduced, and then we're going to start winding down. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, be able comes from that Greek word that I mentioned earlier, dunamis again, okay? Again, where uh, you'll have this explosive power available to you to stand. Now, here's what I want you to see. You don't have to stand against the devil in your own strength. You don't have to stand against his uh, pressure, his onslaught, his, the things that he tries to bring into our lives. You do not have to stand against that in your own strength and ability. Okay? Now, if you'll remember, last week I told you, when Paul wrote this, he was in prison in Rome. And one of the things that he had to deal with was, while he was in prison, he was guarded 24-7 by a Roman soldier. And so, when Paul, uh, and, and you have to understand, Roman soldiers um, were like... They were. It was a huge army, but they had a they had a a, a a special forces mindset about them. Okay, they weren't just run of the mill soldiers. 
if you've ever seen a picture, and I'll show you a picture next week, but when you, when you see a picture, um, their uniforms were intact, their armor was, was polished. I mean, they took great pride in what they did and who they were. And, and you know, when they were standing somewhere, they didn't slouch, they didn't have bad posture, they stood at attention, they stood, uh, you know, as though they were uh, doing something important because in their mindset, they really were. And so when Paul tells us to stand, he is saying that we need to stand like this Roman soldier would have stand, stood. Now, uh, I have been to Washington, D.C., but I've never had this privilege, and next time I go, I'm definitely going to do this, but I'm going to go to Arlington Cemetery, and I'm going to go to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and I'm going to watch the changing of the guard there. Now, for you to be in the Army and for you to be chosen as a guard for the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier is an extremely high honor, and I encourage you sometime uh, get on YouTube and do a search, and, and you can watch a whole changing of the guard ceremony on YouTube. You can watch how they carry themselves, how they posture themselves, and uh, it's just a different posture. Matter of fact, let me, let me show you um, what that looks like, okay? That's what they look like. That's how they stand 24 hours a day when they're guarding the tomb, which, by the way, they do. And uh, they're inspected every day before they go out and to guard the tomb. Every metal, every piece of that uniform is precisely placed. It is, it is where it is on purpose. And matter of fact, uh, just to show you, um, just because the environment might not be suitable uh, you know, for what they're doing, doesn't matter because they are out there even when it's snowing they are out there, even in the pouring rain, doing what they do, carrying themselves this way. Now, why am, I, why am I showing you this? Because when Paul said to stand against the wiles of the devil, I want you to get it burned on the inside of you, not only this modern picture, but this ancient picture of the soldier standing there. Now, listen, Roman soldiers stood there as though they had already won whatever it is they were standing for. Just like those guards at the tomb are standing there as though they are uh, victorious already. And so what I'm wanting us to see is, is that's the posture. That's what Paul is telling us when he says, so that you will be able to stand, okay? You must stand guard over the will of God for your life. You must stand guard over the promises that God has made to you. Uh, there's also some videos, and it's kind of funny. It's not, but it is. There are some idiots, okay? I'll just say this. When you, you can watch this on YouTube. When those guards are, are, are guarding the tomb of the unknown soldier, they take it very seriously. And by the way, they are armed. And there have been people that have slipped beyond the ropes and have walked out there. And they have authorization to use force if necessary to protect that tomb. And so it's funny uh, because they will stop uh, and, and 
address whatever is going on and they say it with force and they don't apologize for it. Okay. They will also, you know, in the, the, the steps where people stand to watch the change of the guard take place, you have to maintain silence the whole time. And, and I've, there are videos on YouTube where people have begun to talk and whisper and so forth. They will stop, they will turn, and they will yell at the people standing there that it is required that silence be maintained at all times. So here's my point in saying that. With the diligence and the, the intensity and the uh, purpose that those guys do what they do, is the way you and I are going to have to guard and protect and stand for and stand for what God has promised us and stand against the attacks of the enemy uh, as though you've already won. Okay? So, well, praise God. We got one and a half verses done. Hallelujah. All right? That's right. <laughs> So what I'm wanting you to see is, and the reason I'm wanting to go in all of this detail is so this will become so clear to you. And again, so you'll get this, this picture down in your heart that number one, you already have the victory. And our job as believers is to simply enforce that victory over the devil and over the forces of darkness that Jesus has bought and paid for. Amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.